This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, the Premier Chels fans, and welcome back to another episode. It's just Rahul and I this week, but look, we're excited to get going on a new episode this week. Rahul, how are you doing, my friend? I'm I'm doing well. It's uh, another week of not losing, so we, we're we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> look, I know we're going to jump into a review here, but before we get started, I think we were all on a little bit of a high at the end of January. We had just signed a couple of exciting players. We thought we were going to destroy Fulham. I think it was like <laughs> I called for a three nail. Alex had called for a three one. I think you were maybe the most sensible. I think you called for a one one, if I'm not mistaken. And it ends up being a draw. But why don't we jump into the Fulham review? I don't think we have the official lineup, but maybe you can take us through starting 11 from what you remember and we can kind of go from there. I actually will pull it right up and I'll walk us through it. So Kepa in goal continues to. To play in Mendy's absence, Reese James finally back. Uh, felt a little bit scared seeing him back uh, in the lineup, especially, but uh, it was good to see him back. Thiago Silva continued. Batty Shile, uh, Kukurea made up the back four. Uh, Connor Gallagher, Enzo Fernandez. Everyone was asking for it. Every Chelsea fan wanted it, and Grand Potter said, "Here you go, guys." Uh, Mason Mount in the midfield, and then. This one was an interesting one, Jackie. Hakim Ziyech mm. on the way out in PSG, sitting there waiting for the paperwork. It doesn't come through. He comes back and goes right into the starting 11 uh, for the game, uh, which well, we can talk about. But that was him on that right side, Kai Havertz uh, up top, and Mudrik making his home debut. His full debut as well, right? It was the first time he got to start at Stanford Bridge. I think he was excited for that one. But let's start from... Enzo Fernandez, E5 or EF5, I think you've been calling him. He's replaced Jorginho. A lot of positivity around this signing. Raul, 120-odd million euros, breaking the Premier League transfer record. And I think the highest transfer for a midfielder in the world, if I'm not mistaken. I, don't quote me on that one, but <laughs> I think it's pretty, it's pretty much up there. What did you make of Enzo Fernandez's game? Maybe we don't do the full Fulham breakdown, but dare I say he might have been the best player on the pitch? I think you can say that safely that he he was the best player and uh, we very quickly saw what he's going to bring to this team, which is you know dropping deeper, progressing the ball further up, connecting midfield, attack, defense, um, and it was it was good to see as a Chelsea fan because we've had you know big money signings have make their debuts and. Uh, you've almost felt like they're playing under the pressure of the fee and all the all the all the news and hype. But Enzo Fernandez looked focused. He knew what he wanted to do, uh, and I think for 70, 80 minutes, he was definitely the better player, best player on the pitch uh, in the blue shirt. And I was I was very impressed with the engine that he has. I mean, I've never watched him that closely like I did for Chelsea uh, in that blue shirt, but. I was very impressed, and once he settles in a little bit more in the team and the players around him realize what he's going to be doing, uh, I think we're we're in for some some happy times. But I'll just run through a couple of quick stats. 100% aerial duels won, which was a little bit of a surprise for me because 
he's not the tallest guy on the pitch, but you know, for him to get up there and, and win some aerial duels, that was great. 96 touches, so never shy to to touch the ball or come for it or ask for it. 85% pass accuracy, which uh, I think we've seen other midfielders. I'm not going to mention names. We've seen other midfielders kind of lose the ball or give the ball away. Uh, he was very, very good with what he did with the ball. Long balls, short balls, keeping it simple, trying to be uh, flamboyant. Even took a shot on goal, which which I was like, come on, go in, go in. <laughs> um, but no, I think ultimately it was it was... I wouldn't say the dream debut, but it was close to it. Yeah, I think you've summarized it really well. And I think as far as debuts can go, I think that was barring maybe a, a goal or an assist. And honestly, Rahul, I think I repeat like how I started the episode. I, we all got a little bit excited, a little ahead of ourselves. I think overall, we're not going to expect too much from him. And and I fear like, you know, we'll talk about Mudrik a little bit later, but I fear I don't want to put too much pressure on the player overall because with Mudrik, he didn't have maybe the exciting follow-up to what the debut was. And we can break that down in a few minutes here or there. But with Enzo, I think the biggest thing I took away, I know you call it progression, and I love that because I saw him coming forward with the ball. But I think the long pass is what I feel like Chelsea have missed from midfield in a long time. And it's so easy to compare him to, oh, well, Michael Ballack could do that, or Frank Lampard, or Cesc Fabregas. And you don't want to compare him to this because he's his own player and he does things differently and he has a different way of moving around the pitch, but it was refreshing to see, I think in a long time, I haven't seen us have a midfielder that would spray the ball from side to side forward, trying to find guys. And and like you said, it's going to take time for Graham Potter to find his first 11, the ones that he wants to bring in week in, week out. And then for that first 11 to figure each other out of where he's making a run or he's making a run. And Enzo kind of forms that telepathy with them and knows exactly where to put the ball. So, Overall, I would say a very good debut. I think there's more to come. And I'm impressed. He only had less than 48 hours with the team. I think he doesn't speak much English. Graham Potter speaks zero Spanish, or maybe he speaks a little bit of Spanish. So I think it's beautiful. But I know you want to move on and talk a little bit about... Maybe let's talk a little bit about Hakim Ziyech, and then we'll come back to Mudrik in a few minutes here. Because Hakim Ziyech is a man, like you said, with his first apartment out in Paris. He was ready to go live by the Eiffel Tower. But... Why don't you break down what happened there, and then we'll talk about him overall. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately when we spoke last week, it was, you know, the paperwork didn't make it there in time, and there was going to be an appeal, but that didn't come through, and and the French League or French Association decided uh, they weren't going to allow PSG to register him. Look, there's two sides to a story, and, and yes, the way Chelsea handled it or seems to have come out in the media that the way they handled it is not right because they did agree to let him go. Uh, and then to drop the ball at the last minute and, and kind of maybe not send the paperwork on time and all of that stuff um, does leave the player upset and makes you wonder where his head's at. Uh, but on the other side, and I, I think I said this on, on Romano's um, post about this, PS, if they, PSG knew they wanted him, I get, look, Ben Ben Jacobs has done a great job explaining to us how clubs like to wait till the end and, you know, when things are pretty much against the wall is when things tend to move. But if you know ahead of time, I want to loan this player in, why wait till the last yeah. minute, right? Yeah. So uh, I kind of, I'm going with the, the mind frame that both sides had uh, some role to play in it, not trying to defend Chelsea, but maybe I am. Uh, but from the player's perspective, I mean, look, he's he's in Paris. I think he was sitting in the offices of PSG. Uh, he was ready to basically 
post or maybe even had taken pictures in the PSG shirt. And then all of a sudden to be told, actually, you got to head back to London, man, and, and we'll figure this out tomorrow. Uh, and this was, I think, Wednesday. So he's back in London on Wednesday, mentally, maybe not in the right frame, but he starts and he was okay. I mean, there's a couple of other players that were worse than him. So I think he, he gets that pass. I say it in quotes, but um, yeah, I don't know if once everyone's fit, like Raheem Sterling just came back. We, we saw him. Mudrik hopefully is feeling better. Uh, Pulisic says he's coming back soon. I don't know where ZX sits once everyone is fit, uh, given what just happened. You know, it's interesting, Rahul, and I've been very honest about Hakim Ziyech. He's not my favorite player for Chelsea. I think I had high hopes when he first joined, but it's either the pace of the Premier League or the way he carries himself. Sometimes I feel like his head's down and he's not necessarily interested in what's going on. Not not in a negative way. I think he's been very professional overall. You don't hear too much about Hakim Ziyech, but that move is something where I think Hakim Ziyech is 29, 30, if he goes on a loan in PSG and he impresses and Chelsea need to do a clear out in the summertime, the chances are he would get a move to PSG and that would be his last big move, whether it's for a two-year contract or three-year contract. He gets to play with Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. I mean, for a player like him, that's obviously something very exciting. And I don't mean to play down Chelsea because I think we're an absolutely top club, but we just have not had that firepower in a long, long time. You can imagine a Hakim Ziyech with maybe... Didier Drogba leading the line or Costa leading the line and he's whipping in those balls from deep. You would imagine a lot more would go in and Hakim himself would get a lot more confidence. But coming back to him in the situation, mentally, I command him because I think it's one of those things where I would be like, I'm going to go play with Messi and all of a sudden I'm coming back to play at Chelsea and he starts, He, like you said, he does okay, but a lot of a lot of praise for him to be able to just come in and do the job. And overall, he didn't put his head down. He didn't complain. So massive respect to him. And I think if he does stay past this, this is only something you can build from. It's complete opposite to what we've seen with other players like Romelu Lukaku will go and complain. I think he's done the right thing of staying quiet, doing the hard work. And it endeared him to Chelsea fans. I think for me, if he's not my favorite player, he's actually working towards being a player that I can actually respect and enjoy while he's with us. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, but it does make me wonder how much more we're going to get out of him for the rest right. of the season. Um, and so that's my whole thing is we technically didn't want him to to stay for the rest of the season. All of a sudden he walks back into the starting 11 and I get, you know, I, I've mentioned that injuries played a part, but um, yeah, I just, it's just not happened for him. And, and I don't think it's, it's going to happen unless, you know, something changes. But um, I'd love to see him kind of connecting with Mudrik and Enzo and um, Jao Felix when he comes back in because, like you said, he has that passing range. Yeah. And I would love nothing more than to see him do that. But um, I definitely think in the summer he's going to be gone. That's definitely one of those. And we'll talk a little bit about later in the segment about clearing out some players and who we would like to see gone. But I want to move on to one player in particular, Rahul, who's blue through and through in the middle of negotiating contracts. A lot has been said from many different Chelsea fans. If you're watching us on YouTube now, Rahul is closing his eyes and chuckling because I think this is a conversation he did not expect to have, nor did he want to have. But I think it needs to be had, Rahul. I think it's one of those things where 
you and I need to have our say and, and maybe have our feelings. Let's talk about Mason Mount for a little minute here. He's not having a great season so far. I think that's easy to see. And I, I know a lot of Chelsea fans are split at this moment in time, which if you asked me this two years ago or even last year, I would never think Chelsea fans would be split on a player like Mason Mount. However, and we said this in the last episode and episodes before, he gets a lot of hate online and it's brutal to the point where it's just downright disrespectful. And a lot of people want him sold, especially with the contract renewal kind of up in the air right now. You have some strong opinions on Mason Mount overall, and I want you to be as honest as you can with the listeners today about how you feel about Mason Mount. And ultimately, we'll talk about what happens to him later on in the segment. But how do you feel about his performance and where he is right now in his career? Right now, as we speak, he should not be starting any games for Chelsea Football Club because he's not in form. He is not mentally in the capacity to be playing at the top level in the Premier League. That is not to say that he can't because we've seen him do it, right? I have to qualify what I'm saying because I am I am a believer in Mason Mount and I, I have been. But right now, when I watch that game against Fulham, trying to play through passes, not coming through, trying to take extra touches and trying to slow it down a little bit. And it just, when the ball would go to him in attack, our attack would break down, Jackie. Yeah. And, and that's frustrating because as a Chelsea fan, we're not asking for us to score four, five, six goals every game. We want one, right? And when we have the opportunity to get one and a player is slowing it down or, you know, maybe not releasing it as fast enough or, or releasing it too fast and not getting it right, yeah. it's frustrating and it's annoying, right? Because a few times you see Mudrik making a run and he tries to play him through and he doesn't, or he doesn't play him through in time. And other times he's kind of in Mudrik's area, occupying the space. And so that's kind of leaving nothing for Mudrik to play into because he's basically feeding off of scraps. Now, I get that Mason Mount isn't the one saying, I'm going to go mess up Mudrik's game. He's just <laughs> naturally, that's what he does, right? And so I think that's where, as Graham Potter, you got to say to Mason Mount, come in a little central or allow, make dummy runs for all I care, but allow the ball so that you can it can be played into Mudrik. And if he's not doing that and he's not getting it right, play someone else in that in that position. And I'm looking at our bench and who could have been that person. The only person I see is Carney uh, Chukumeka. Now, maybe not the best replacement, but someone who may be willing to stay a little more central or willing to be like, you know what? I'll sacrifice myself. And Mason does that. We've seen him do that. Mason does sacrifice himself. But right now, it's not coming together. And we said this in the last episode. We're his biggest fans. We want to see him succeed. We want to see him succeed in the Chelsea shirt. But right now, it's not coming through. And it's not going to get better by just playing and playing and playing because he's just going to continue losing his confidence. So we really need to give that boy a break. Put him on the bench. We're going from week to week now. I know we got Champions League coming, but that's one game. And then we have a three-week you know, break in the sense we don't have a midweek game. Let him sit on the bench. Let him read the game from the bench. Let him understand what's required. And then you ease him back in. But right now, we're putting him in trouble by forcing him and playing. 
And yes, people will again say, well, we don't have a midfield and we don't have a natural replacement. I don't care. I really <laughs> don't care. I would rather see no one play right now than Mason Mount play there. And listen, I think, first of all, I appreciate you being so honest because I know as long-term Mason Mount supporters, it's difficult to tell the truth because you and I have his jerseys. We've stood next to him and got him to sign him because we know how much he means not only to us, but to other Chelsea fans that are maybe thinking a little more logically. I think other Chelsea fans may be heated right now. And so sell him is the easy thing because it's we have a huge squad and so get rid of him. But I, I look at it this way and I say he has played a lot of football, but the honest truth of it, taking away our biases, he's been poor. It's actually to the point where it's shocking sometimes that is this the same player that has done so good? And we've seen this before, Hull, with other players. We've had Didier Drogba hash spells on the bench, and you had Lampard. Actually, Lampard was probably one of the most consistent players I've ever seen in my life. But you've had other players that come in and out of the squad, and they used to be the core of Chelsea's. Even Cesc Fabregas, towards the end of his Chelsea time, with Mourinho and Conte, towards Conte's time, Conte wanted to phase him out, and Fabregas worked hard and got back in. So it happens, and it needs to happen, I think, at the risk of not extending this conversation, it's also similar to what happens with Kai Havertz. Maybe he's one that needs to sit out a little bit and kind of go through the same situation and ultimately maybe not play that number nine position. But obviously that's a discussion for another day. But it's one of those things where I think we we support the player. If you're a Chelsea fan, take the, the anger and take the frustration out for a little. I don't think we'd want to lose a player like Mason Mount. And again, we'll talk about it a little bit later in our segment as we go through the whole process. But Coming back to the team, I think you touched on Mudrik a little bit, Rahul, so we'll, we'll skip over him and go to the return of the prodigal sons, maybe, because a lot of men coming back from injury, I think it was exciting to see them. Why don't you take us back through who came back and maybe your thoughts overall on their performances? Reese James, Beast, I beg your pardon, Beast James is back, uh, and that's very exciting because he went down was it, I think, the Bournemouth game uh, right after the World Cup restart. And it's been about six, seven weeks since then. And mm -hmm. we know how that's gone for us. So he's the, he's like the heartbeat of this team. He's the person that makes things happen. He's the one kind of calms things down in certain cases. Uh, so it's great to see him back. Like I said at the top of the show, it was a little concerning to see him right back into, and no pun intended, <laughs> into the starting 11. Um uh, but look, that's that's the man that we all want to see. So uh, seeing him back was great. Maybe not the best performance from him. Maybe a little bit of ring rust in the sense that he's been out for a while. Uh, and maybe mentally he himself was like, you know what? I'm just coming back. I'm not going to go 100%. Yeah. Um, and not that he he would ever do that. But, you know, mentally you never know. Um, and so I think he stayed on about 60 minutes, which I think was smart and not forcing it and giving him, you know, the full 90. Uh, and so hopefully that's the start of things to come. And then I think, again, with Ben Showell coming back, I think was right around 75, 80 minutes. Uh, another one that we have missed for a long period uh, yeah. starting, you know, last season coming into this season. So it's great to see him coming back. And I think him coming back will push uh, Kukurea, who's – who was the worst player on the pitch. I'm just going to put it that way. Um, and so he needs a little bit of competition. He needs to understand that he is going to be replaced by Ben Joel and he's going to have to fight to get his place back. Um, and then finally, Raheem Sterling, and, and you know how I feel about that. Um, it's good to have him back. Well, look, and ultimately, I think 
with the lack of form of maybe a Mason Mount and a Kai Havertz, it might be good to have a Raheem Sterling back. And we still have a few more guys to come back and play in. So overall, I think good to see them back. I think we've needed them. It's now going to be a challenge across the board of how to get 30 odd players to be happy and, and working together. But it's a challenge you and I don't have to deal with. We can only speculate. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second here. One last segment, not necessarily returned from injury, but we have a minute here to discuss uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. I just want to get a quick word from you overall on the situation. He has been left out of the Champions League squad. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why he can't even get minutes. Maybe there's something in the back end, but maybe a quick word on Aubameyang and what you think about what's going on there. It's it's a situation that was set up for failure the minute mm-hmm. we fired Tuchel, right? Yep. We bring him in, I think, two days before we eventually let Tuchel go. And say what you want, but this was a signing for Tuchel. There's yep. a player that had worked with him in the past. There's a player that we had identified as someone that could come in and potentially provide an outlet as a number nine. Um, and so he comes in two days later, his his coach, his father, as Tupel had pointed out with uh, Conte and, and Lukaku, uh, is let go. And so that immediately you're, you're settling into your new club and all of a sudden that happens and you start questioning, well, should I have left Barcelona? Fast forward, Graham Potter comes and plays him in a few games. I think he even scored against uh, Milan definitely away. And then there was a couple of other goals in there. So you, suddenly you're like, yeah. all right, well, he, he could be the player that we wanted. And then it's gone south when he's maybe the body language has has dropped. I mean, we had that whole thing with Arsenal. You know, we were going to face them. He was gunning for them. There was no firepower there. And and yes, the team is to be blamed. But I think it's just it's just set up for failure, and it's failing right now very very badly. Um, and then we've dropped him from the Champions League squad, which. Uh, that means we have no recognized out-and-out striker in that squad. And, okay, great, we we won it last time without that. But uh, I'm looking at this list, Jackie, and Carney Chukumeka has made zero appearances in the Champions League this season. Could he have been one that we could have said, you know what, son, you're 19, you're going to have 10 more years of playing in the Champions League, we're going to drop you here and manage that situation and maybe yeah. put Obama Yang in. But ultimately, this is another one, Jackie, where I think, the club know what's going to happen in the summer. The player knows what's going to happen in the yep. summer. We're really just headed towards that, and we're just kind of managing the situation. I mean, he went to Milan over the weekend. He was given the weekend off. So uh, he's getting paid well. He's getting paid well to not do much at this point in this at this stage of his career, which is not a bad thing. But I'm sure as any professional, you want to play, and you want to play uh, at the top level as for as long as possible. But... I think we've we've done him bad as a club, and it's just it's sad because I think there's a player there, and that could have benefited us. But I think with all the chaos, that's been a casualty. No, look, and it's it's disappointing because I think you and I know that we've had players that perform poorly for one manager, but when another manager comes in, they're able to get that lift, and they're a different player. And with all due respect to Graham Potter, I think that's what we were told was his strength was his emotional degree or his man management and if anybody could 
put an arm around Obama Yang and say, I know your father's gone now, but I'm here and I'll take care of you. It, it could have been him. And honestly, as a Chelsea fan watching, sometimes we're crying out for a striker that can fill that void or fill that gap. And how bad can he possibly be coming back to the Kai Havertz situation? It's like it's not working as a number nine. And David Datro Fafana came on for 15 minutes and looked completely night and day. Rahul, he was absolutely brilliant. And so it hurts to see because... I thought we had something with another number nine where we could break that curse. And I don't expect him to stay for a 10-year se season, but be around and, and fix us in the short term. Maybe another year he would have got an extension till that Fafana kind of evolves and goes from there. But you're right, we've done him wrong, and it's a situation where I hope we could have found a situation in January for him to move on to, but we are here now. And in the summer, like you said, he might be shopping for a home in, in Italy and, and moving on from there. But I think he's uh, headed to LA from what I see, which is hey, that's not a bad, bad place to go to. But at this point, I think we just need to retire that number nine shirt. It's not <laughs> worth for how many players now. I mean, I'm I don't even want to count, but off the top of my head, I can think of 10. And Easily. so just retire that shirt, burn it, it. I don't know, whatever you want to do. I mean, I know it has a, gr a great history with some older players and players in the past, but in the recent times, it's cursed beyond cursed. <laughs> it's so cursed, we gave it to a defender at Chelsea, and a defender lost his career after that <laughs> shirt. So we know that number nine has definitely not done good things for us. But look, let's move on. Let's get away from the Fulham game. Ultimately, I think it ends nail-nail, and, and no one can fault Fulham. I think they were fantastic. We didn't even really talk about them. But let's move on to a fun segment. I think we're going to call this Start Bench Sell. And it's alluding or building up to what we've been talking about with such a massive squad. Graham Potter says he's excited. It's a new challenge, and it's part of this challenge to figure it out. But ultimately, Rahul, I think 30-plus players is, is huge. And that's not to mention the several we have on loan. And I don't even want to open up the can of worms of <laughs> other players that we still have on the books from five years. And if you're a Chelsea fan listening and a rival fan listening Think about that eight-and-a-half-year contract we're getting criticized about because we still have players like Bakayoko and Baba Rahman on the books that we're trying to figure out what to do with. But neither here nor there. Go ahead. Jackie, before we start, just a, a quick um, kind of you know message and prayer for a former Chelsea player, Christian Atsu. Um, I think he's uh, one of the casualties in the earthquake in Turkey, so... Uh, just want to kind of put it out there that, you know, we, we wish and hope that he is okay uh, and, you know, comes out of this uh, without any major, major issues. I think he was in the rubble in one of the buildings. So just sending our thoughts and prayers to him. No, lovely words. Thank you for bringing that up. And any Chelsea fan, I know we didn't get to see him very much in a Chelsea shirt, but he is a Ghanaian international. He's one of the players we saw. So, Definitely hoping and, and sending prayers and thoughts that way for him and everybody else that's going through the horrible situations that are going on there. But Let's talk a little bit about goalkeepers to start. We have four goalkeepers. I think Slonina maybe is one for the youth, but the three that are at the top of the, the forefront now, Kepa, Mendy, arguing for number one place, and ben, Bentinelli. I want to get Bettinelli. I want to get this right because we got to see him on tour, but... Rahul, four goalkeepers. I think a squad usually has three. Who are you starting? Who are you benching? And who are you selling? I am selling Bettinelli 
Wow. Um, I think that was a, a, I don't know why you said wow. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why when you finish. I'll tell you why, but go okay. ahead. I think that's, Bettinelli is simply a a homegrown kind of, you know, quota kind of filling filling signing. And, and no disrespect to him. Look, he, he's probably a good goalkeeper. He's made it to the top level. I saw him wearing his Rolex. Um, but coming back to him, I think I would sell him. I would, I would honestly start Slovenia next season. Wow. Okay. Let the kid let the kid play. Um, and the other two, I would sell. If Mendy's contract situation doesn't get fixed, I would sell Mendy and keep Kepa. Okay, fair enough. And I think I'm a little bit opposite to what you said there. I'm going to start Kepa. I'm going to bench Bettinelli, and I'm going to sell Mendy. And 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 let me hear. Let me say what I'm thinking out loud, which is why you were why you're laughing. I think Bettinelli is on a, on a lower wage, Rahul, and I think he's satisfied to play second fiddle at this point in his career. I think Kepa showed good performances overall. However, we do have Slonina in the wings, which means that if Kepa does not perform to what we're expecting. Lonina can move back up and, and fight with him for that first spot. And with regards to Mendy, while he's been brilliant, I think he wants to be a number one. We've heard rumblings. And as far as Chelsea goes, we've spent 500 million. We might get or be able to get a decent return on Mendy at this point in time and just contribute to that while Lonina comes through and fights over with Kepa. So not trying to make you laugh there, but I think we'll keep paying Bettinelli to have another Rolex by the time we see him next time around. But let's move over to center backs at this point and defenders. We'll do center backs to start and kind of go from there. I think we have a huge team of center backs, but I guess it depends how you play, whether it's a right back, a three at the back or a four at the back. But uh, Benoit Badiashil just came in. Thiago Silva, Trevor Chaloba, Kulibai and Fofana. And Rahul, that does not include, again, a few of the guys there on loan, but those are the names I have there. Obviously, I think some will stay, but just really quickly, who are you starting? Who are you selling? And who are you benching? I am starting Thiago Silva, Badishile. Okay. I am benching Fofana and Chaloba, and I'm selling Kulibai. Wow. Okay. So you've gone straight for. KK doesn't make a full season. No. Well, out of out of those, was it six, five? Five, I, yeah. I think he's been the worst performing. And, and that's a lot because Fofana's barely played. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's tough words there. But I look at it, I think I have to agree with you. Benoit Badeshiel and Thiago Silva seem to be fantastic at the back. We've actually stopped leaking goals. Uh, Fofana, I think, needs a chance. We haven't seen too much of him. And the little bit that we scouted and seen through Leicester. He's been brilliant. So it really comes down to uh, Chaloba and Kulibai. And I think I think we're not going to get a return on Kulibai. I could be completely wrong, Rahul. So from a logical business perspective, I think we'll see more from Chaloba financially. And I think he was very close to leaving Chelsea as well this summer. I think he was asked to stay and figure it out. But he hasn't seen much game time. Maybe he can get progression. But for me, then I will sell Chaloba and keep Kulibai for now, and then we'll figure out Chelsea find ways to bring buyback clauses, Louise's left and come back. And so if Chaloba's progression goes, we'll figure out from there. But let's talk a little bit about the left backs. I think right now we only have two, so it makes it a little easier to play the game. Maybe just 
Start and bench. And I, maybe it's a little easy for you, but I don't know. Kukureya and Ben Chilwell. It's, it's very easy. You start Ben <laughs> Chilwell and you bench Kukureya, but if that boy doesn't perform next season, you sell him. So let me ask you this question because this is an interesting conversation just for a quick minute here. Kukureya or Lewis Hall? Right now, Lewis Hall. Okay, so you would you would bench Lewis Hall, but you would sell Kukureya if you could. 100% because Kukureya <laughs> has come in. And look, I get he's had issues off the pitch, but you don't forget how to play. So uh, I... Maybe I'm being insensitive, but he's just not shown us what we paid for. And we have maybe we overpaid. So let's let's say, you know, maybe we were 15 million over what we should have paid. But even then, he's what he would have been 40 something million. Come on, you positioning is not there, awareness is not there, passing is not there. Someone said we, you know, I think someone said it's a Marcus Alonso situation. I'm like. Alonso could attack at least and provide some <laughs> output. Kukurea does nothing going forward or coming back. And right now he's a liability. He is, indeed. I think I have to agree with you. And, and at the risk of being biased to myself, I'm not going to put Lewis Hall in that mix. I think I would loan out Lewis Hall. I think he needs to have consistent first team action. I don't know where that would be, but he's had enough performances to prove to me that he can go out on loan and do fantastic. But Kukurea on the bench, I think I'm going to give him another season. And Ben Chilwell hopefully stays fit because I think he needs to be first first choice for sure. If if Pep Guardiola can let Cancelo leave and play a youngster, I think we can easily keep Lewis Hall and let Kukurea go. That's all I'm going to say. You heard it here first from Rahul at the Premier Chelsea. Let's see what happens in the summertime. But strong words there, Rahul. Let's move to the right back position or right wing back, whatever you want to call it. It might be an easy one. It might be difficult for you. I'm not sure. But you've got... Reese James right now, and you've got Aspilicueta. But to make it interesting, even though he's not listed, I'll throw Malo Gusto into the mix as well. Start Reese James, bench Gusto. And as much as I love Dave, Aspi, I think it's time. I 100% agree with you. And I think Aspilicueta himself has been looking for that last big move last summer, he was almost out the door to, to Barcelona. I don't know if that door is still open, but maybe a club in Spain would be happy to have him. He still plays fantastic as a right back, maybe not with as much pace as before and can definitely slot into a center back position. But that means we have a good thinning out of the herd at the defensive side of the house. We'll see how that works out with some of the listeners. Let's move on to the midfield and this is interesting. So I'm going to maybe split it up to, let's call it the pivot position, because I don't know if we can fit all of our midfielders into different roles as we go through. But let's start with Enzo Fernandez, your new star boy, maybe I'll say. Start, star boy. That- start, start, start. <laughs> let, me finish, let me finish giving you the options. So you've got Enzo Fernandez. You've got Mateo Kovacic. You've got Ingolo Kante. You've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And you've got, I'll throw Dennis uh, Zakaria and Conor Gallagher. So I'm going to throw those six in there. So figure out and maybe through each of them. So let's run through each of them really quickly. Enzo Fernandez, I think you're screaming start. Start, 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 start. Who are you partnering with him to start? Right now, I would go with Kovacic. But okay. if Conte comes back, and I know he's back in training, if Conte comes back, gets fit, is ready to go, it would be Conte. 
Okay, so Kante and Fernandez are starting. That means Kovacic drops to the bench for you is what I'm hearing. So we're left with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Conor Gallagher, and Zakaria. I have to push you to sell one at the very least. Well, Zakaria is not owned by us. So That's true. That's fair, he yeah. Goes, he goes out, right? So I don't know if yep. that counts as sell. But then it comes down to Ruben and Gallagher, and I would have to keep Connor and get sell sounds a little bit better sell Loftus Cheek and I think that's a perfectly good criticism I think Loftus Cheek has been here a few seasons now back to back unfortunately injuries have plagued him and you talk about Enzo Fernandez and N'Golo Kante maybe being your your starting lineup and then Kovacic versus Loftus Cheek Kovacic is maybe a better all-round player and Gallagher has to get a chance I know Chelsea fans similar to Mason Mount he divides you but he is a good player and I think he will come good but at the very least he deserves another full season similar to what Loftus Cheek has had. And Dennis for Zachariah, hopefully we'll see how that plays out. But I'll let you say a word on, on this pivot I'd, before you I'd move keep on. him. I'd keep yeah, I'd, I would keep Zachariah, uh, sign him or loan him back, whatever you want to do. Um, because Conte and Kovacic, we know, are going to have injuries. It's it's like when the sun comes out, those two get injuries. So so we're um, trying to reduce need, the size of the squad. <laughs> we're trying to reduce the size of the squad, not grow it. But let me ask you an interesting question then. Zakaria Kante Kovacic, do the start bench sell for me. Imagine we have Zakaria. <laughs> start Kante. Yep. You know what? Start Kovacic. Bench Zachariah and sell Conte. And I think that's kind of what I was pushing you to, Rahul, because Conte is a fantastic, fabulous player. But if we take all things aside, the injuries have started to get to him and it's difficult to see him season after season. So if he's able to get over that hump and we get to see him even for half the season, he's absolutely world-class. But I think Chelsea are progressing into something different. And so it'll be an interesting conversation. I agree with most of everything you've said here. I would also sell Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think, I love him dearly, but time has come for him to find a new challenge. I'd love to get Dennis Zakaria into the team, but I think we're trying to reduce the size of the squad for now. So if we're able to sort some things out and some players leave, we can definitely cross that bridge and go from there. But I repeat, Conor Gallagher, give him another season, guys. Don't 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 count it out just yet. So attacking midfielders, Rahul, maybe that's the best role to go for it right now. And I'll squeeze in. Kai Havertz into this discussion. Maybe the number 10 role is what I'm going to try and squeeze it into. You've got four players that I can think of. Uh, Mason Mount, you've got Kai Havertz, you've got Yao Felix, who's on loan, but there's rumors that we could sign him permanently, and then Chukameka as well. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> I would keep Chow Felix because okay. he's not ours. <laughs> but see, it's unfair because I've only seen an hour of him, and and players tend to be better in their debuts than over fair you know, enough two three seasons. So from what I've seen, I'd keep Chow Felix. I would, I would sell Kai Havertz. Okay, and then I'd bench the other two. Okay, so Mason Mouse is on the bench, and I think we can say maybe maybe Connie Chukameka might go on loan. He's still eighteen nineteen and. Might get an then opportunity I to go home. Kai Havertz. <laughs> <laughs> Try to squeeze Kai Havertz back into it. And look, that's a, that's a, a good talking point. I think overall, I haven't seen enough of Yao Felix. And so for me, maybe it's time to figure that out first before we make a final decision. But for the sake of argument, I would 
start Mason Mount, I would bench Kai Havertz, and I would sell Chao Felix, or in other words, let him go back on loan, because I think Carney will be the future. But again, we'll see a little bit more, and we may come back in this podcast, and Bayern Munich may come knocking with a good price for Kai Havertz, and we'll be having this discussion again. Let's talk a little bit about maybe right, right wing, Rahul. I think that's the best way to put it, as front of the attacking front three. Right now, Raheem Sterling and... Nani Madueke and maybe Hakim Ziyech. Those are the three that would play on the right-hand side. Which ones are you keeping, selling, and benching? I'm starting Nani. I'm benching Raheem, and I'm selling Ziyech. Okay, so Raheem is immediately demoted in Rahul's squad to a bench player, which well, that remains to be seen. Nani had a decent debut, but we'll see how that plays out. I think I'm going to start Raheem for now keep Nani on the bench, and then I agree with you, Hakim Ziyech. It's just not worked, and it's time for him to move on like we talked about. Let's move on to left wing. I think there are only two players for this position, so it depends what you want to do with them. It's really up to you, but uh, Mudrik and Christian Pulisic. Uh, Raheem could play left, too. But Raheem could play he, left, I too. I would still yeah. bench him on the left side, <laughs> <thing> too. <laughs> Okay. Um, Mudrick starts for me. I mean, again, I'm going off of 30 minutes and then 45 the other day. But if Mudrick is allowed the space and in, in mm-hmm. put in the right system where we can play the balls into him, uh, I think he would be great. So Mudrick would start. And Pulisic, honestly, I know a lot of people want him to go. He's had injury issues. But I think he would be a great squad player. Maybe, maybe U.S. men's national team fans don't want to hear that. But he would be a great squad player. Christian's another one, Rahul, that can play left, right, or middle, which means that as we thin out the squad, it's good to have a guy that can cover multiple positions. I think it'll come down to his fitness and his willingness to want to be here, i.e. his attitude of wanting to maybe not start every single game. But I agree with you, Mudrik will be the one to start for now. Again, time remains to be seen if he's going to be successful overall, and Christian Pulisic drops down to the bench. Uh, Let's talk about the front line. It's going to be interesting, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but Obama Yang, I think we discussed him a little bit, so maybe let's put him on the cell for now. So looking towards next season, if we do not sign a striker, are you starting Armando Broja or Fofana? And then who are you benching after that? Tough. It's very tough because they're both young and we've not got to see a lot of them in, in the minutes. Yeah, very, very tough. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking about a new striker in the summer. Uh, but between those two, I mean, I think... Well, we saw Fofana the other day. He looked lively. He looked like he wanted to make things happen. He almost got a goal. Uh, so at that point, I would start him. Broha coming back from an injury, give him some time. So I'd bench him. And then I think Aubameyang is is on his way out. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think looking about time, I would start Fofana in the next match. I thought he's ready to give something to the team and lead the, the position as a, a true striker and make some room there. But there you have it. I didn't count exactly, but it looks like Rahul and I are dropping five or six players onto the transfer market in the summertime. Chelsea's spending spree may not be over, so it may get interesting here, but that's kind of what our team will look like. Maybe when we have some time, Rahul later, we'll put it up there and kind of figure it out. But we have a few minutes here to talk about the newest craze that's going on, the newest rumors, or maybe it's confirmed, I'm not sure, but Manchester City have been in the midst of, I don't want to say a debacle, but news, maybe that's the easiest way to phrase it, that they are under some FFP investigations or they're close to being indicted. I don't know what the right words are, but 
maybe you can break it down and we can share about share some news on that and our thoughts on that as well. This is this is big news. I mean, it's we've heard of clubs breaching FFP, right? We've even heard of Man City doing it in and UEFA kind of came down on them and they got that uh, reduced and whatnot. But this time it's the Premier League. This time it's over a hundred counts of breaching or you know uh, laws or or things that have been violated by them. And so it's it sounds very serious. And I know a lot of people and you and I included are like, well, they'll they'll just pay their way out of it. But I think with the way it's come out, the way it's been presented, you know, out in the world and the media it sounds like it's something big is going to happen because you don't do that much over a nine year period and say, you know, you violated a hundred clauses of laws and then we just give you a fine. I think there's going to be more to it. And I think there's going to be, they're going to use this as an example, like similar to what they did with us, right? Last season, which was yeah. not, not anything close to this, but, they came down hard and, and rightly in the sense that, you know, there was a, a war going on. They, yep. they all, everything that we know of. Um, and ultimately they made Roman sell the team, which was the worst case scenario for Roman. Um, and so I think they're going to make an, an, an example out of Man City and whether that's fully fine base and maybe it's a hundred million and, and they, they have to pay that or it's fine base plus some point deduction or I don't know, you know, I've heard they even may get pushed down to the championship, which would be crazy. So um, a lot to be unfolded here. You know the lawyers are going to be involved heavily, mm. and there's going to be a lot of back and forth and negotiations, and ultimately they'll do what's best for both parties. Hopefully not, because that, that would mean Man City get away with it. But I want to be careful because we're coming off of not even a week ago spending $500 million, $600 yeah. million in the space of nine months, and I know... The new buzzword is amortization, and you know we've spread it out eight years, and we ended up only spending fifty million in January. I get all of that, but we as fans are trusting the officials to do the right things and make the right decisions. But we don't know. Like Man yeah. City fans did not know or weren't aware of fully that they were paying Mancini a second contract behind the scenes. <laughs> Who knew? Not me. Um, and, or they were paying players, you know, kind of around and, and inflating their incoming. So you don't know what these officials are doing. And, and it's they're doing it because they're in a business. They, yep. Do they care about the club? I don't know. So I really hope as a Chelsea fan, and I know, you know, our books were scrubbed up and down when this takeover happened. But now we're moving forward and moving forward. We spent $600 million. I just hope we're doing it the right way and we don't come to find out four, five, six years down the line that we're now going back to 2023 um, and looking at, you know, what Chelsea had done. Because from what I heard, the Premier League doesn't have a limitation on how far back you can go. So they could, we could be like 20 years down the line, Jackie, yep. and they would come back and say, you know, these, these rules are violated. So again, we trust the officials, we trust the owners, we trust the people to make right decisions as fans, but it'd be nice to have a little more clarity in terms of how things are being handled. And maybe that's, that's one of the things that comes out of this. No. And look, I think as a football fan and maybe, maybe I'm one of the few, maybe rival fans don't care, but I think as a football fan, it would be a shame to see Manchester city get relegated. And I think I don't come from that 
point of view, just because Chelsea are a rich club, I think my finger pointing goes back to the Premier League as an organization. I assume, and I need to get educated on this, and maybe we'll we'll make some phone calls, Rahul, and figure out someone who can explain it better to us. But I, as a business, we turn in our books every year to the organization that is running it. And so every year, an organization has an opportunity to review, read it, and make a decision, right? And so you're coming to tell me after 10 years that they've now decided, and I, and I get things take time, but Rahul, a year, two years, but we're talking about going back five, six years worth of Premier League titles for them, and, and even longer, right, till when they initially got big investments. So what have the accountants for the Premier League been doing over the last decade? It's like, we'll read one page at a time. I, I don't know how a business works like that. And so from that point of view, I think it would be a shame for Manchester City to get relegated if that's what they're touting about. Maybe they go through the whole thing and they say, okay, we're going to do the point deduction similar to what they did to Juventus. But they're talking about stripping titles. And I'm wondering... As a fan, oh, great, I get a title. But you don't get to enjoy that moment or or feel that, you know, excitement that happened. And I sit there and I look at it and I use us as a great example. We spent $500 million in nine months and we're sitting in 10th, right? So ultimately, Manchester City cooking the books or spending more money than they made, that wasn't the only reason that they won Premier League titles. Did it help? 100%. It absolutely poured fuel on the fire. But we are the prime example of spending money doesn't equal titles just like that. There has to be good pieces in place for that to happen. And I'm not saying they shouldn't get punished, and rightly so. And if, if that's the rules and Chelsea are caught in a year or two, that should be fine. We'll deal with that as well. However, let's not relegate a team that's been there and had heritage and has gone through this process. And 10 years later, the Premier League comes and says, I finally read your books. <laughs> We're going to make Liverpool a champion and United a champion. I'm sure the fans would love that. But we've got to be careful here and figure out things. And maybe the Premier League needs to put stricter guidelines in place where things are caught a lot sooner rather than later. And and people who are intelligent, like Todd Bowley, who are finding ways to get the loopholes, Rahul, you make the joke loophole FC, the Premier League and the people who are running the FFP and stuff like that should be constantly reviewing their things to see, does this make sense? 100% agree with you. And, and, and that begs the question is, you know, where was this investigation led by, a, you know, another force that could be outside the Premier League, could be the UK government from yep. from what I'm, I'm hearing and reading. And so uh, a lot of things in the play behind the scenes. And, and you know that, you know, again, Man City, you said they're surprised. Well, I mean, that how much of a surprise can it be if you were being investigated by UEFA two, three years ago, right? So, again, I want to be careful about what mm-hmm. I say, but I will wrap up by saying... If things do go south with Man City and and you know certain managers available, <laughs> I'll just insert. If you can, Jackie, I know I know we're using a new platform here, but if you can insert the the Doctor Evil, give me a hug kind of meme. I would just I would I would that would be Todd Bowley to Pep Guardiola's. So so Rahul's taking Pep in in a heartbeat tomorrow. Look, I mean. It, it would also bring up the question is like, why does Pep go for teams that may eventually have issues down the line with FFP? But hey, if he wins a couple more titles and he can get the, the eluded Champions League with with Chelsea and we can get this this badge back because we're about to lose it uh, since the Club World Cup is going on. No, I'm, I'm getting off topic. Look, Man City, um, we'll, we'll find out what happens. Like you said, we'll try to get a little more educated with with mm-hmm. our contacts and the people that we know, but it's going to be an interesting situation. 
It will be interesting indeed. And we'll bring you the updates as we learn and hear about them. But let's move on to the Chelsea women. Rahul, they seem to find a way to keep chugging along no matter what's going on in the world, defeating their nemesis. And our striker has gone to play for them, scores against us, but that's still not enough. We beat Tottenham 3-2 at Tottenham Stadium. What can you share about this? And then maybe take us home after that. We, we certainly didn't. And the Chelsea women can't keep clean sheets and the Chelsea men can't score. So make of that what you will. But uh, they, they're they scoring for fun. I mean, Jess Carter starts us off in the eighth minute. Beth England, like you alluded to, is, is scoring in the 16th minute against Chelsea, who just left uh, in this past window. But then, Jackie, a certain... I'm not even going to compare it to Aiden Hazard because she deserves her own, uh, you know, title. Lauren James takes on four, five, six, including the goalie, maybe seven defenders. So she cuts in from the right, dribbles through, dribbles through, you know, gets it, it gets into the box and finishes it. And you're like, what just happened? It's <laughs> it's a solo goal, right? And She's capable of that. We've said yeah. that. We've seen her this season. She's come into her own. She's been given the opportunities. I guess one of the complaints was, you know, maybe not assisting or scoring mm-hmm. enough. And she's like, you know what? I'll show you. And man, that was that was some goal. And it was in the London Derby. I mean, it's yep. not like you did just a preseason game. And she's like, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna take players on. She believes in herself, and she's can play with both feet she can dribble she can take players on she can uh provide assists i think i think reese james said it and i'm gonna steal it from him but she's one of the best players out there right now and and that's full credit to her but also credit to her dad nigel nigel james who's looking around and he's like i've got reese james who's getting a banner on leash on friday i've got lauren james who's winning the london derby on on sunday it's it's a great time, and I know he's putting a lot of work with both of them. But uh, Guru right hand scores the third, and we're three one up. But like I said, we we can't keep clean sheets, and we have to make it interesting so we can see the second in the eighty eighth minute. But we go on to win it, rightly so, um, and we end the weekend top of the table because Arsenal did not win against West Ham women, uh, and Manchester United also failed to to pick up the full three points. So things are looking looking good for us. It is indeed, and I think just to echo what you said, Rahul, I think when we signed her, I think she was 19 or 20 early in the season. She's now coming into her own, and she wasn't necessarily starting every single game. And one thing I'd asked you, and, and I didn't even think about Lauren James at the time, is why would Chelsea sell, sell one of their strikers to a rival? And I think I think you can see the answer slowly here is they had a weapon in the wings, pardon my pun, but they had a weapon in the wings that was ready to step onto the pitch and do some real damage. And so ultimately I think this is what we all want is us to grow. And if the Chelsea brand grows with the James family in there, I'm all for it. Nothing like it. 100%. And they might be the best sibling duo out there uh, at this point, which is, which is great. So hopefully Reese gets fit, gets back to, you know, his himself and we can, we can go on to win some games on the men's side, but the women are flying and, and they've got a, a tough game coming up against West Ham in the uh, WSL Cup. They've got uh, Arsenal coming up at the end of the month in the in the FA Women's FA Cup. So a few tough games coming, Champions League draw happening this weekend. So we'll find out who we'll be facing. But 
it's gearing up to be another fun and exciting season for them. And, and we'll be here watching and covering them as we do. Uh, one last message. The latest edition of the uh, CFC fanzine. Uh, if anyone listening is interested to submit any articles or any content for it, the deadline is the 14th. So we're, we're getting closer, guys. If you're interested, please reach out to Dean. Uh, and he and you can uh, send in a piece for that edition. But that wraps it up, guys. It's been it's been a fun episode. It's been an interesting episode. Uh, we haven't scored a goal in February yet, but hopefully that will change this weekend against West Ham. Uh, but we will be back with a review of West Ham and and uh, talk about some of the things that happened. Hopefully we can get the win. But until then, stay safe and up the chelts. Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.